Welcome to the Welly Sport Podcast, where our aim is to provide interesting sports-related conversations with anyone from the world of sport, including old Wellingtonians or other individuals who now work within the world of sport. For this episode, your hosts are me, Mr Pratt, and our co-pupil host today is Robbie Offord from the Upper Sixth. Robbie, do you want to kick us off? Do you want to sort of give a little bit of information to the listeners about yourself and, and maybe a little bit about your sporting background? Blue Cup 6, duty uh, of Mr Pratt, played first team rugby for the last four years, played London Irish Academy up till just before GCSEs last year. Yeah, just a keen sportsman all round. And, and obviously, been, I know you referenced it, Robbie, there, but obviously well tutored in the blue cup by, by Of course, Mr. of course. So, only the best. Yeah. <laughs> We're never, I don't want any more of that. I, I'm going to get uh, someone on moan at me for saying <laughs> that already, I'm sure. Mr. McDonald won't like that reference. Um, we're, well, we're lucky today. So our, our guest today with us is Nick Kennedy, former professional player in England and in France, I believe, as well. Represented England um, through his playing career and since finishing as a player um, went on to be director of rugby at London Irish and is now at Saracens as head of player recruitment. So Nick, welcome to the podcast. Obviously great to have you on board. Thank you for having me. Nick, I don't know, it's probably rather than me having given that introduction, is, is it worth um, if you're able to sort of give a, I guess, a, a whistle-stop tour of, of how you've got to where you are now in your career? Yeah, definitely. Um so I got into rugby quite late, actually. I was always more of a footballer growing up. I grew up in Buckinghamshire, a place called Marlow. Uh, before then, I lived in, in in America and Belgium. So I sort of had a, a wide range of a sporting background. And I went off to university on the south coast, Portsmouth, and sort of got into rugby properly in my second year at university. A lot of my friends were doing it. In the first year, I played a bit of basketball and sort of tried a bit of everything, um, went out a lot and uh, so my second year I developed a real passion for it and I absolutely loved it and loved everything that came with it and the the team socials and then just started taking it a bit more seriously as I as I grew into my body really and sort of got into uh, my conditioning right and then in my third year at university well in the summer of uh, the second year to third year I wrote to London Irish a guy called Connor O'Shea who was the director of rugby at the time and sort of said can I come on a trial? And they trialed me in what was the under-21s league that yeah. now basically been replaced by an under-18s league or a second-team league by premiership clubs. But yeah. a long time ago, there was just an under-21s league. And so my whole third year, I was it was a very difficult year for me. I was studying as hard as I could at university, as well as commuting the hour and a half up to um, London Irish and did the full season with them and then was lucky enough to be given a professional contract off, off the back of that, that season. From then, I did 13 seasons at London Irish, absolutely loved it, and went on to play for England there, played a lot for the Saxons. Uh, my time at London Irish ended as I was getting a bit old, and it looks like I sort of went to France for the money, as a lot of people say. I, I moved to a team called Toulon, who at the time was a very famous team with a lot of um, international players, top-end talent, but I wasn't offered a deal from London Irish to stay, so... I sort of weighed up my options, what was out there, and I never won a big trophy with London Irish, and it was something I felt was missing for my career. So I chose the team I was most likely to win something with, and <laughs> went over to Toulon and won the European Cup. So it's sort of job done there. I signed a three-year contract with them, 
but for all sorts of different reasons my wife was studying to be a, a doctor and um, ended up moving back after a year to join Harlequins and my knee wasn't quite right I played about 12 games for them and had to retire through a bad knee and I was very lucky to join London Irish again but this time working with the academy so I headed up the academy there for about two and a half three years um, London Irish first team weren't doing that well whilst the academy was doing well thanks to a lot of uh, Wellington College pupils that I'm sure we'll, we'll talk about at some stage. <laughs> they um, they helped us win the under-18s league, which was a brilliant experience as a, as a coach and um, really enjoyed my time there. And the first team wasn't that successful. Everyone got the sack. And <laughs> turning up to the first day of pre-season, uh, myself and a couple of the academy coaches were the, were the only men left, last men standing. So we took over the first team. We were in the championship then and we went on to win the championship, which was a brilliant, successful year. And then the next year, we really struggled in the premiership, which was a very, you know, can be deemed as an unsuccessful year results wise, but, you know, learned an awful lot as a, as a coach and as a manager. Um, left London Irish, did uh, four months with the RFU and the England under 18s, which I absolutely loved. And then moved, I was working with Saracens and the RFU for a little while. And then Saracens wanted me to go full time. Um, which I jumped at the opportunity because um, it's just a fantastic rugby club and brilliant people and still learning lots from some of the best coaches around. And that's, I'm sort of two years into that at the moment. And and so, and the specifics of your role with, with Saracens now is more, is more on the sort of, um, sort of re- recruitment of players. Am I right in saying that? Is that, does that mean less coaching for you now and more potentially sort of looking at, um, spots in the side where you you might have um positional shortages or looking to the future with with young players coming through sort of how how does that work for you now yeah my, my role has has sort of varied a bit throughout the two years i started um as a, as a part-time sort of uh scout recruiter for them and then i went full-time as head of recruitment but i mentor some of the young second rows there we've we've got some fantastic young locks coming through and we'll watch the games and just talk about all sorts talk about life and and where their rugby's going uh very lucky to work with some some incredible locks really there so that's a a part i really enjoy as well as last season i helped out with the line out with um ian peel we've got a, a superb forwards coach one of the best in the prem and so I got to work with him and, and help out with a sort of non-squad line-out a little bit here and there. Um, recently, I've been working on a university partnership and, and relationship with a university so we can try and get our academy guys educated as best as possible alongside rugby, which is something that we, we really believe in. Uh, we've got a full-time psychologist and sort of careers advisor that helps all of our players, whether they're entrepreneurs or whether they want to study or whether they want work experience in the city. A guy called David Jones at Saracens really helps out. You know, we've got a big first team squad, a big academy squad, and, and he helps all those guys out with with their life after, which yeah. is difficult for a player to think about when they're 19, 20, 21, or to be honest, 30, 32. But, um, <laughs> you know, it's, it's such an important part of... Um, having peace of mind and and being able to think about your future because there's only one or two players that make enough money to retire on so the others need to be really really knuckling down getting an education yeah. um, building up that work experience bank but also having a good think about what what they really want to do with their lives 
and 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 I guess sort of like that almost takes me sort of full circle back to you I I didn't realize um uh, as you do when you you start to do a few of these things you you do a bit of background before you come on I didn't realize you you got into rugby as late as you suggested you did sort of second year of university so sort of very very limited playing when you were at school and things like that did it really kick off sort of that late for you I guess yeah, I did play in school, uh, not when I was in America, not when I was in Belgium. I did play um, in school a bit. I played a start on the wing and then was moved to second row. Didn't really enjoy it that much, to be honest with you. I was always very lanky, so <laughs> I still am, but um, lankier. And um, probably just found it difficult as a physical sport. Didn't enjoy it that much. Didn't have much of an energy for it. Um, started getting into it a bit later, but I was never the rugby one in the family. Something my brother was and my friends were a lot better than rugby than I was. Actually, there was a. I went for a scholarship at, at my school, and they sort of tiered it on all sorts of different sports and all sorts of fitness tests, and I won everything. And then the reason the headmaster said I didn't get it was because my rugby wasn't good enough. <laughs> uh, I'd like to uh, regale that story to him at some point if I ever bump into him. So yeah, and the, as I say, as I as I grew into my body and as my friends were playing it and wanted to spend more time with them at university, that's when I really started to take it seriously and really got the bit between my teeth and, um, you know, fully, fully went for it there. So almost that, that social, not, I don't mean social side as in the off field stuff, but the, the social um, aspect of, of playing with, uh, you know, uh, with friends and being sort of on the field with friends almost was kind of the, the ignition for it to really kick off by the sounds of it. Yeah, yeah, and I think actually I remember I played the Roslyn Park Sevens actually when I was eighteen, and I think that gave me a bit of confidence um, in the sport that I hadn't had before. And then going to university again gained a little bit of confidence. And sometimes, you know, I started at university third team, and they were drinking whiskey at half time, and um, maybe that's what I needed. Maybe I needed a bit of courage. <laughs> yeah. um, I'm uh, just, I'm just hoping the Wellington people don't don't don't, don't get on board. You wouldn't be doing that. Um, Nick, um, just, you, go, on, go on, sorry, go for it, Robbie. No, I was just just asking about the university. Like, did you feel that there was like a big, like, what, how big was the jump from university level rugby to obviously going into like the professional ranks? Like, did you feel like a big step up physically and like, in, like just in that sense at all? Y- yes, yes. I mean, because my rise was quite rapid I sort of went from the university third team to the second team to the first team and each step of the way that got a bit more physical and a bit tougher and then London Irish under 21 suddenly everyone was bigger stronger faster and there was no you know slow older fat guys that you can easily run around Um, and then my first game was Newcastle away in the premiership and it literally happened because there was five injuries in the first team Um, I sort of, I was actually really scared. And as the last one suddenly rolled his ankle, I was like, oh no, I'm, I'm in here. Like, I'm going to get a game. And I remember they, they ruined me with the captain at the time, Ryan Strubwick. And he literally talked me around the whole the whole field all, all day before every scrum, telling me what to do, every line out, telling me what to do. And, um, you know, he, he was a great help to me as a player. But it was, yeah, everyone was was huge. You know, you're all, I'm six foot yeah. eight. You look across and there's a load of people as big as you, but they're a lot wider and a lot stronger. Um, and you do, you know, you rely on your teammates to do their jobs very well and you can do what you're good at, which at the time was, you know, the line out and, and working hard around the pitch. So luckily there's another 14 guys out there to help you with the physical side of yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, yeah. 
yeah, you know, it, it is a big step up. And I think it's one nowadays with the academy set up the way they are. It's, you know, it's that slow <laughs> growth as a, as a player, yeah, yeah, no. also as, a, as a physical specimen, as you slowly but surely get strong enough to be able to deal with the hits of the game and be able to deal with the physical demands of the game. And that's tough, isn't it? Because there's sort of a, a pressure on sort of younger athletes to be, be reaching, reaching their peak at a younger and younger age, sort of leaving school. And, you know, you get these um, sort of superstars coming almost straight out of school or sort of certainly in their early 20s. And, and yet the reality is they've probably, you know, got, got some years developing physically to, to be able to manage at, at that real top end of the game. And, and I probably more so than any other sport rugby would be the, the one where the physical aspect's so difficult yeah a, a big thing for me is everyone's running a different race and uh, the likes of a joe thock and a singer who you might see play for london irish bath and then england you know he arrived as an under 16 as a man giant and it was going to be easy for him and he could play for our first team at 19 years old and um, someone like a uh, harry elrington a, a prophet london irish we watched him throughout his whole university career so we watched him at Loughborough. He went away to Loughborough, played loads of university rugby. We kept an eye on him. He trained with us over the holidays. And then we signed him. And now, you know, he's one of the starting props at London Irish. Uh, ben Harris, the guy that we've just signed at Saracens, his route was slightly different. He got let go by London Irish Academy, uh, went across to England Sevens. He did two years with England Sevens. And then he played a game for Saracens midweek, his first 15s game in two and a half years, scored a try. Um, you know, there's lots of different routes to it. I think the, the key is you've, you've got to love it. You've got to be very passionate about it and you've got to really, really want it. You've got to, you've got to have a huge motivation to want it because it, it's very competitive now. And, and do, do you think that's almost kind of, you know, it's probably it's not very measurable, is it? Sort of how much someone really wants to kind of pursue those those hard yards, you know, those probably long away trips, late evenings early morning training sessions and, and all of those kind of things quite quite easy to pick out those physical specimens and watch people develop but actually quite hard to understand those people who, who really have the sort of the bit between their teeth in terms of the motivation level yeah and that's you know as a when I was running the academy we, we always said that there was always a route back in or there was always a route in and we tried to leave no stone unturned with getting to as many schools as we could I remember we had a big chart of all the schools and what was our relationship with them and how many times we'd been there and you know even the the, the poorer rugby schools historically or, or currently we'd always make sure we sent someone from our academy there to have a look so there was always a routine and then we spoke a lot about not just talent development but talent identification and, yeah. and was it you know it's not always the the giant Fijian guy it's actually as you say that maybe the ridiculously determined smaller lankier one who just, <laughs> who just knows the game well or is extremely tough and will just keep getting up and keep fighting because there's so many different elements to the game of rugby that um you know you need to be really thorough with with your talent id and just just before I sort of hand over to Robbie and, and, and look at potentially sort of more kind of post-school experiences for you in the game and, and some questions Robbie might have. Uh, interesting, you reference your your first game and, and Ryan Strudwick as that leader on the field for you. I guess that has that had some influence for you now as a coach to try and like support those those younger players coming through? Obviously, for you to kind of reference that, I suspect something that was of great support to you as a player um is that do you, you know do you think those kind of leadership roles when guys suddenly find themselves playing 
premiership rugby or in professional environments it must be a fairly you know a difficult and sometimes probably quite cruel environment to be in in terms of sort of being younger guys coming into it dealing with all the challenges that that go with being a professional player now as well yeah I think a lot of coaches as soon as they start coaching they forget what it's like to be a player and it's something myself and a, a coach that I worked up with Paul Hodgson speak about a lot and actually I've always got a an academic diary that I, I do every year and at the, on the, one of the front pages I always write memories of being a player and there's about 10 things that I always make sure I remember and you know it's when you are not only when you're young you can get scared you can get extremely nervous you, know, you get tired like there's so many different things going on in a player's head and so many things that you can affect as a coach um and, you know, you said the, the craft of coaching, isn't it, is, is to know what to say, when to say it, how to say it. And um, for that young guy, yeah, if you can pair him up with the right leader um, and, you you know, you know that leader well enough that he is going to look after him. Or sometimes if you've not quite got those sort of leaders around, you might have to do a little bit more yourself with the player. Um, and, yeah, you know, just just you being honest with them and being a bit vulnerable with them. So hopefully they can give that to you back and you can learn more about them and can help you become a better coach and in turn help them become a better player. Yeah, it's, that's, it's sort of much more a two-way relationship, isn't it, probably, than than a few years ago. It would probably be much more co- coach to player and player just had to get on with it. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, I've seen it evolve in, in the time I've been coaching. But GCF, from when I was a player of just getting shouted at and told what to do and no one even really knew, knew uh, your full name type of thing. It is, it's very different now, yeah. Robbie, should I, I'll, I'll hand over to you. Yeah, so when dealing with like the, like the growth of an academy player, do you ever, are you ever conscious of like trying to get the balance between, obviously, because if they, either they want it or they don't want it, but ever finding the balance between maybe not maybe almost like laying off them with a bit because like, I've seen with the academy league, the academy leagues and stuff that like the intensity for a young person of, of having to commit at such a young age, almost from 13 up can, can be somewhat overwhelming. Do you ever find yourself trying to manage the balance between those, between the two aspects? Yes. Yeah. You, you've got to give them, you know, a, a lot of slack and, we had it. The, the good thing that London Irish Academy had relationship with Wellington was was Kev Brennan, uh, Mr. Brennan, who yeah. who was who had been a professional player himself, so fully got it. It could actually help educate us as coaches around. You know, uh, at the start, it was why can't they come on Monday night? You know, do they want this or not? Type of thing. When actually, it's like they've got so many pressures around their their studies at the moment. Even you know some social engagements, all sorts going on with their lives, with their parents, and it's a case of. You know that they do want to come, and they're not saying they don't want to be a professional rugby player by staying yeah. at school and doing their work. And you know that's something we learned very quickly, and something we were in full support of. And for us, we said it before every big academy meeting where we met the parents: schoolwork comes first, because one injury yeah. and rugby's gone forever. Whether as your schoolwork is, you know, what you can learn there is going to see you in good stead for the rest of your life. So we were, we were very forgiving around that. Um, we tried to do as much online learning as possible with the players so they could pick up their phone in a study break or a you know before bed type of thing and have a little look at what they'd learned in training how we wanted the breakdown to evolve what the line out calls were and things like that so we tried to put as much of that online to, to help the players um, academies have often got two or three counties so people have got to come from from very far yeah. away and 
the travel is can be difficult, especially after school. There's loads of traffic and it, it can be a nightmare. But um, on the flip side of that as well, we, you, you try and make the sessions as fun as possible. So people really want to come. So they're learning, they're having fun and they're really enjoying themselves. Um, but yeah, and it, it is tough for academies. I, I don't know your experience there, but there'll be 40 of you and the coaches only really see you once a week. So it can be hard to build relationships with all 40 guys when you've only got yeah. that hour and a half or two hour window once a week and you want to get through all your essence strength and conditioning. You want to get through as much rugby content as possible. So sometimes there's not quite enough time to fully understand the pressures that some of the players can be under. Yeah, no, I agree with that. And I also think that because it's just one one time, one like day a week um, and like the connection between the 40 players is quite hard to build. Like, sometimes it can be almost less enjoyable because everyone's trying to prove themselves as an individual rather than like building. So you've got people like, like doing like behind the back passes, like trying to show off as much as they can. And I just like that can sometimes be like almost take away from it because everyone's because they're trying to build that. They kind of just build their name up as an individual rather than focusing on the team. Yeah. I've, I've definitely seen some of that over the years and yeah, you know, then that can carry across the games. But then, you know, there's a as an end result in terms of uh, from a, just a club perspective, wanting a player that will go on and play for the first team. You know, you want selfless athletes. You want really good people, first yeah. and foremost. And as coaches, you can see the guy who's, you know, just trying to sidestep everyone and pass the ball out the back when actually yeah. there was numbers to the left and simple pass is the right decision to make. And uh, that's the skill of a rugby player is, is making the right decision, not necessarily just trying to show off. And, you know, you always want good teammates and people that do the right thing for the team as opposed to themselves. I think yeah, uh, yeah. I, I, I can't I can't let it go. We, we, we had a reference to uh, to Mr. Brennan, Kevin Brennan, who um, I think probably does listen to these. I know he's listened to a few of them. And Nick, just to give you some some. He's probably too busy thing. now, though. He's, he's too big time over there. Yeah, that that is true. He's yeah. a, he is very big time now, and he, he he won't he won't let us live that down either. But Robbie, you'd have had Mr. Brennan as housemaster for one year. Am I right in saying that? No, I, I had him for a term because he left term. in Christmas to go to Australia. Yeah. yeah. So and and as a third former, I didn't really like. I didn't really know him that well. But yeah. Tom had him. Uh, my brother. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, so uh, there's uh, there's some some legacy still of Mr. Brennan hanging around at Wellington at the moment. We, we've been we've been doing our best to try and to try and move him on, but he uh, he just keeps popping back up. No, obviously he was uh, you know I'm, I'm sure you you would have worked closely with him and been a great link. And I think that's such a it's such a key aspect now, isn't it, of understanding young people that you know. Yes, there's schoolwork, there's sport, there's probably uh, there might be a musical they're involved in. There's there's that process of just being able to grow up as a teenager and all of those kind of things. And I think as sport people in sort of sports coaching roles, you sometimes forget that there's this big old melting pot and someone has one bad game and they get criticised for it. But they've probably got so much going on in their life elsewhere. Um, you know, it, it's it's very difficult to to sometimes kind of see everything that's going on for them. Yeah, um, Nick, I, I I just wonder if you like sort of looking back to your your school days a little bit here, sort of go go a bit further back, and if I said to you kind of if you did you have a favourite teacher, did you have a favourite coach when you were at school? If you thought back, and was there anything? Uh, I'll sort of keep waffling here for a second, uh, just to buy some time. But was there anything <laughs> that kind of uh, that made them stand out in, in, in for you? That made them that best teacher or coach? 
Um, yeah, I remember a, a teacher called Mr. Raya, John Raya, who uh, he was my geography teacher, my rowing teacher, and my rugby coach. And uh, I really liked my, my rowing for a while. And you know, he, he got me into rowing and um, helped me through my geography, GCSE, and A level. Um, and yeah, you know, he was he was a he was a good man, and uh, he, he stands out. A, a one called Mr. Course. Who was a, a ma- my maths teacher and a and a rugby teacher? He was a he was a tough man, but but he he was a great teacher as well. And and in, and and in terms of sort of characteristics for those those guys looking back, was there anything in particular you think that did they just connect with you and sort of motivate you, or um, yeah, was was there anything special that 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 worked um, when when you were sort of at school with them? I, th- I think yeah, shared interests. You know, both very sporty guys and. We're happy to, to to share a laugh amongst, um, you know, putting in all the work in the classroom with maths and, and, and geography, um, and and they really cared. You got the feeling that they really cared, and it was a case of, you know, we finished the maths lesson, right? Everyone on the minibus, we're going down to the field, and we're going to work hard on the pitch, type of thing, and uh, yeah. just just yeah, very good men, and that, that probably cared about their students. It's it's interesting, isn't it? I think that 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 idea of sort of I think you know, kind of um, the coach or the teacher having that g- genuine sort of empathy and care for for people gets such, and it's probably true now in your role that you know you you will get so much more out of people um, in terms of the relationships you build with them through that process, don't you? Yeah, yeah, most definitely. Um, Robbie, I'll I'll pass back over to you. Um, I was just thinking about the when you said you went to Toulon. Did you find like what was the difference between French rugby and English rugby? Because it seems very different, like and the way they like approach it. Yeah, it was a it was a huge culture shock for me, and yeah. it was quite old school. Even though they had um, yeah players that were a bit before your time, like a Backy's both or a Matt Gitto or Johnny Wilkinson, yeah, yeah, and yeah, the world's yeah. best players, but. The, the coaching was very old school. Um, it, the setup was very old school. We'd arrive to a game about five hours before and just like sit around quietly. And they wanted to like build the emotion and build the intensity and very emotional characters as, as French coaches that I had. And yeah. a guy called Bernard Lepore, who used to coach the French national team, coached me and literally didn't speak to me for the first three months, uh, <laughs> apart, apart from shouting at me. And the only English I heard him say was, Nick, do you know nothing like that? I got one of the calls wrong. I genuinely thought he only spoke French and I only spoke English at the time. And then Sky Sports came over to do an interview with the Armitage brothers, Andrew Sheridan and Johnny Wilkinson, some of the famous English guys. And I saw them interview. So I was sat at my home after being there probably three or four months. And I was watching Sky Sports News to watch the guys. And he gave a full interview in English. And I was like, he's absolutely fluent in English. He's never once even spoken to me or asked anything about me but the first game I played for them was at number seven was at open side Toulouse away who won the best teams in France and I saw the team sheet and I went straight up to the force coach I was like have you got this wrong like I've only ever played second row I've never even played blindside eight let alone seven <laughs> and the, the French captain at the time Terry Dussetois I was like and he just like pats me on the on the head he's like it will be fine it's, like, it's ridiculous. That's crazy. Yeah, I find that crazy. Yeah, they do some random things there, and um, but the the crowds were were phenomenal. 
uh, the passion yeah. of the supporters. It was more of a football style crowd, the sort of chanting and singing, and they get so involved, um, especially because where I was on the on the south coast there yeah. in Toulon, there's not many good football teams around. You've got to go to Nice and Marseille, and Toulon sits in the middle. So you get that sort of football crowd, and these people give up a, a lot to buy a season ticket. So every game means so much to them. You do, um, it, it does appear incredibly partisan some of the times in terms of sort of really passionate supporters. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're, they're ton- so we'd arrive five hours before, we'd let it build for like three hours, and then we'd go to the back, we'd get a bus round to the training ground, briefly go there, come back into the stadium once the crowd had grounded a bit more. And then we'd walk through this crowd of you know hundreds of thousands of people and you just see it in their eyes. They're like nearly crying and they're screaming, they're shouting, they're whacking you on the back. Um, it just means so much to them. I just found that the crowds very different over in France compared to the premiership crowds. Yeah, that must have been crazy, actually, going from Irish as well. So, like, yeah, it's crazy. Um, so when you were playing, like, was there anyone that you would, come up against continuously that you were like oh, not him like not him again like uh yeah yeah a, a guy called simon shaw he was he was huge he was like 610 about 130 135 kilograms maybe on a good day and um he was just like a one-man wrecking ball of a mall stopper wherever you <laughs> want the ball his long arms would come through and steal it off you and he was a massive man he was so hard to tackle i was a very light second row so Having him run straight at me was always a, a difficult stop. So, yeah, he, he was one I've, I've had a lot of respect for over the years and, and one I didn't like facing. Yeah, well, who did he play for? Uh, Simon Shaw played for years for Wasps, won the Premiership with Wasps for years, and then he finished his career in Toulon as well. So I ended up playing with him, which was which was great. Yeah, that must be nice. The, so the sort of in that lead up, I know you can't you you sort of jokingly referenced um, wanting to win silverware at the, at the beginning when we started, but it, that that sort of process leading into winning a big tournament in that fashion was was there sort of was that very strategically done at the club at the time, um, or, or, or did it sort of just evolve naturally uh, over sort of a you know the kind of couple of years leading into it, I guess. So they'd previously lost the top 14 final the year before. And, you know, the whole club was was built around winning silverware on who they'd signed and the money that the owner, Morad Bougelard, had spent. Yeah. And, you know, it was a lot of the French players were desperate to win the top 14, where there was a lot of the foreign imports wanting to win Europe, because for them that was a that was a bigger trophy and you got yeah. to play against, you know, your old teams would beat, beat your Leicester Tigers and um, we ended up beating Claremont in the final. But, um, yeah, everything was geared around around just winning. It wasn't about the performance for for that side; yeah. it was just win. And if we didn't win, there was hell to pay. And uh, we cut, we'd be brought in on a Sunday after a loss. We'd have to watch the whole video. The coach standing at the front. You know, there's no like a few clips to make your point and move on and keep your oh, guys. Yeah. It was the full game. Pause. Rewind. Any mistake, you were absolutely hammered by the coach. And, you know, little things like if we lost, then instead of getting a chartered flight to the next game, we had to get the bus. And the owner would shout at us, right, you're all getting the bus to them, to Paris. And it's, you know, like 10 hour bus journey. Or normally we just had a private jet and we'd fly there. But <laughs> if we lost, we really knew about it. And, you know, training was always a bit harder. And But whilst we were on a winning streak, life was good and uh, yeah. we were treated well. So you got, got both ends of the spectrum there, basically. 
yeah very much so yeah in a really a very interesting setup and i get you've you obviously referenced sort of um, probably where you are now most saracens with, with sort of looking at investing in good people and it, uh, an interesting you know sort of two complete different ends of a the spectrum there in terms of setups where you, you lose a game and, and suddenly you're on the bus rather than on the flight scenario like could potentially i guess could have been quite divisive with with management and players and so on yeah yeah i think they didn't really care about you as as players to be honest with you you know as i say those conversations weren't there yeah um, there was a real lack of lack of knowledge of, of the actual players and ultimately you know if you got injured or if you weren't performing they just get rid of you and get someone else in yeah um and, and that was their model and you know it, it worked they, they were very very successful yeah. um they won the european cup uh three times and you know they that well, when i look back at some of the you know you can think it's a bit archaic but some of the stuff worked really well in terms of just doing the same thing again and again just with varying intensities of a team run, basically, but 15 on 15 the whole time, no real drills, no breakouts, no, um, as I say, no, like, getting to know the players and getting in their, their psyche. It was yeah. just my way or the highway. Um, but 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 it worked for, for the group yeah. of players that were there, and it kept everyone in check, and, the, you know, the discipline was there. And, um, and I, I guess, it was I guess when, you've, when you've got that sort of, you know, you've referenced, you know, in that era, some of some of the best players in the world were at the club at the time. I guess, I guess, with that sort of model, you you can you can not not get away with it, but essentially get away with it because you've got such a high caliber of player there. Yeah, yeah, and that, you know, you you can never, you know, you'd love to be able to go back and do it again with sort of a, a different coaching methods and um, some different ideas and see if you could be even more successful. But ultimately, yeah, they, they did so well and. And um, yeah, I, I do. I do respect the head coach there. Even at the time, you know, I wasn't a, a huge fan, but I've, I do have a, a great deal of respect for him now. And, and I guess sort of looking at those that coaching side of things, like sort of in 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 your role now, you've you know you've you referenced sort of having come through that London Irish setup with the academy and then some difficult experiences moving into sort of working with the senior side to, to now where you are sort of for you, good, good coaching. What, what does that, what does that look like? I guess sort of uh, Robbie will did reference different sports at Wellington that he's involved in. I'm sure he's experienced different coaches. Um, but, but for you, what, you know, what, what does good coaching look like? Do you reckon? You touch sort of the same as being a good teacher, isn't it? It's it's empathy, it's caring, it's effort, um, it's you know always put trying to put yourself in the in the athlete's shoes, um, and then it's it's having that growth mindset to constantly trying to improve yourself as a coach, and then obviously in, in turn the player, um, and you know doing all you can to help each individual athlete and then in turn help the team to perform yeah I find that crazy because it's just like that's the complete contrast of what you said happened in France when and like if you go like that I would think my first thought was surely when they're treating you like that and they're not like concerned about you and what could be categorized as a good coach does that all sometimes demotivate you to be like be like oh like like why they why don't they care about me because they just see me as a as a like an ass not even just an asset and like not as a person yeah i think 
I think it's very difficult um, when you've got a load of players from all over the world and what works for one might not work for another and they've all had such different experiences and that was the method that he believed would would get the best out of them and, and bring everyone together in a short space of time and maybe sometimes as a team you can get brought together to say mean things about your coach and then you can sort of bond that way and ultimately he knew as long as we're doing his game plan then we were going to be successful and um you know then other leaders can step up and, and help run the team in different ways and you know looking back maybe that was one of his methods as well to to make sure that the players are stepping up to help lead in in parts that he wasn't going to yeah you always think it's very interesting don't you kind of it you you'll never be able to be in the in the mindset of the coach but how much of how much of it is kind of an act and a facade actually to, to try and get in their mind the best out of people and I guess you know we'll, we'll never know um, you know I, I look at somebody like Trevor Bayliss with, with England cricket recently is spoken about as being sort of quite a, a shy and reserved character for the most of the time and then I think as you know well referenced a couple of times as maybe lost it in inverted commas but you suspect he was well aware what he was doing when he did that to try and get the best out of people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know that Alex Ferguson hairdryer treatment. Yeah. He's such a incredible coach, and he's so calm and well mannered. You know, every, everything was calculated that he did. And if you're Ryan Giggs, and you know, heard he'd been going out drinking and things like that, then he was gonna, you know, give him a good telling off in front of other people, knowing that then it wasn't gonna happen again, and knowing he would perform well that Saturday afternoon. Yeah. Yeah, so hard, isn't it? I've, um, Robbie, I, I, I've got a couple more questions. I don't know if you've got anything. I, I, I'll go. I'll go with one first, but obviously, sort of aware we've been chatting for about fifty minutes or so now. And, uh, and whilst it's great getting an insight into Nick's thoughts, I'm sure he's got some some things he might need to disappear off to do this evening. So um, we'll, we'll sort of look towards winding things up in a second. But Nick, I just wondered if you know you looking back and thinking about young professional sports people trying to make their way particularly for you in rugby and looking back on your own career the the biggest challenges the the biggest challenge you might have had to overcome as a young player what was it and I guess what what do you think it is now for for young people kind of um you know particularly coming into rugby but but maybe coming into the world of professional sport as a whole I think let's maybe leave Covid aside and, and assume kind of things were normal um yeah what what sort of challenges do you think are out there? I think nowadays challenges with social media are, are huge they put such pressure on professional sportsmen nowadays and you know you, you tell some of the youngsters playing their first game you know don't google your name and don't put your name into Twitter, but you can't help it as a, as a young man. And suddenly no one's ever talked about you. And suddenly people are talking about you. And, you know, it used to be just don't read that newspaper of the journal that didn't like you or wanted someone else to play. And, yeah. You know, it's so easy. It all comes through to your phone. And, you know, you've got to have real resilience. You've got to be very strong minded, which can be tough as a young athlete when you're getting some negative things thrown at you. And it's just so easy to criticize, isn't it? And someone will watch a, a fan, a supposed fan, will watch one drop ball. They yeah. won't see everything else you've done and all the hard work leading up to just being there, let alone all the hard work in the game. And people don't see any of that. They just see this one negative thing. So um, just having that resilience and self-belief or being disciplined enough to not, <laughs> to not look at it. You know, yeah. I, I think, think that's a big challenge now for, for up-and-coming athletes. 
the, le- the level of scrutiny that you see you know you've, you've only got to watch the sort of tv when there's there's live sport on and and you know everything is analyzed isn't it now you, there's literally yeah. no hiding place from it at all yeah uh, it's, it's very different now and, and only going one way really there's just more and more coming in isn't there yeah absolutely Ro- robbie is there, is there anything else that, that you've got at your end uh yeah i was just wondering uh, like as harrison's how are you guys approaching um the coronavirus like changes especially in the like academy level like are you guys just not are you still are you have you had is everyone coming back now or um no i mean our senior academy are now back in and we're taking measures around the club around we used to have three meals a day and now we only have one in the takeaway container and one-way systems and obviously hand washing sanitizing um our senior squad are tested twice a week at the moment so we we're playing twice a week so um some of the guys are training with the first team so they're well looked after in terms of our junior academy stuff the guys have had a long period off we're trying to give them programs to work on some general strength conditioning things and um some of the older academy guys have had some zoom meetings around the game and their thoughts on the game and um, certain position specific things but it's a yeah it's a very difficult time and um, you know, great opportunity for the for those players now to not have the distraction of a Monday night travel and to get on with their schoolwork and worry about rugby a little bit later on, which is completely fine in, in the world we're living in at the moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, and I guess it's like you say, it's just a, an opportunity, I guess, to try and get to get some other things um, or not off the to do list, but almost off the to do list. So then when when rugby is is able to start gradually coming back, which I think. I think it look it's you know it's starting to look more hopeful at the moment, isn't it? In terms of um, things returning, possibly sort of towards November and and beyond that. Um, that you know, I guess people are then sort of prepared when that does when, once it is back, they're as best prepared they can be to kind of start trying to get back into things as well. Yeah, I went. To, I've been watching a lot on television. I went to my first live game on Monday, and. I saw Isaac Curtis Harris, ex Wellingtonian, yeah. uh, Tom Parton, um, Matty Williams, or Rory Brand. So There's four of the guys that we contracted out of Wellington. Yeah, uh, watched them all play, and it was great. Uh, Isaac had a had a cracking game. Tommy Parton's been going really well, and um, I guess sort of one of the most enjoyable days I had down at Wellington was uh, offering those guys contracts to come and be professionals, and you know they've done all the hard work, spread out over a long period. Some of them. Have joined the academy at a very young age and some of them came in a bit later but um you know seeing the, the joy in their faces that all that hard work had paid off made uh made the job really worthwhile and yeah you know, fashion as well and he's ended up at newcastle playing um who else i wrote i wrote a few of the boys down oh benny loader who's uh who's <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that young superstar just um just in the making but then i was thinking about the wellington team as well and made about the other boys that we didn't find and it was an unbelievable team Jacob yeah. Wells, Dylan Moss got on to, to play professionally, Will Wilson's got on to play professionally Jack Ingle professionally, Connor Dolan um, you know what, what a uh, yeah. yeah it was crazy, I remember I, I was in third form when Ben Loder was playing in up six and like to think I'm now there when he like is like <laughs> age is crazy because he was like yeah, I remember he was taking a high ball and a guy was, he was a sitting duck and a guy just, he just bounced, he just bounced off him and he just ran off. It was crazy. Yeah. 
Yeah, he's still he's doing that now. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, it's not changed, has it? It's unbelievable how, how quickly it... And, and you've probably got someone there, you know, I'm sure Ben wouldn't mind us saying this, you know, he's he's almost gone from school rugby seamlessly into the professional game, um, which I guess is slightly unusual nowadays. He normally, normally takes people a bit longer or there's that kind of... They, they burst through and then there's a bit of a setback. Maybe his guys work them out um, and then they have to evolve a bit. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, you, you connected at the time through Irish to Wellington. That was a, I mean, you've, you've reeled off sort of from that era of, of Wellington rugby, kind of a who's who of Wellington rugby that in that period of time, really. Yeah. Yeah. No, was, I remember watching the Roslyn Park Sevens and uh, because we we're going to sign six of the boys out, it was just such an enjoyable tournament to watch. Uh, Bread and go around with those guys, just beating team after team after team, and um, yeah, they were, had some serious talent around that age group. Well, uh, we, we've got to move on. We, he's, he, Kev's had way too many mentions <laughs> on this podcast already. Um, we'll, we'll look to, to start wrapping things up. I've just got a couple of couple of sort of generic questions more than anything, which I'll, I'll pose to to both um, yourself, Nick, and, and to Robbie. Um, it, favourite athlete ever and why um uh, Nick I'll go to you first it'll buy Robbie some time favourite athlete and why who, who do you reckon it's going to be Michael Jordan after watching recently the the last, oh, the last on Netflix and just the the sheer determination of him and the fact that he wouldn't let anyone get one up on him and his his work rate uh yeah he's a, just an awesome athlete yeah, I mean, you referenced that sort of that motivation early, didn't you? Like, it just has has it in, well, abundance. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and the good thing, you know, he he wasn't the he was obviously a star, but wasn't amazing at high school type of thing. And it was it was the fact that hard work got him to where to where he is, which is you know multi multi millionaire right at the top of uh, of any sport. Yeah, with, with your own shoe brand, clothing brand, you, you name it. Yeah. Um, Rob, Robbie, go on, same. You can't say Michael Jordan as well, I'm afraid. <laughs> no, I was just thinking, because I'm a bit of a boxing fan as well. I was thinking probably Manny Pacquiao, the way that he's still knocking around. And he's, he seems like such a, like such a kind, gentle person. But then when he gets in the ring, he's a bit of a savage. And it's like, yeah, I think that really, really interesting, yeah. Interesting choice. I think of the couple of people I've asked this question to, that's the first box we've we've had come up, Robbie. Yeah. I can't I can't really comment too much. I must admit I don't I don't follow boxing boxing a great deal. I don't think I'd fare very well in the ring. I think that's why. <laughs> <laughs> um, again, Robbie, I'll start with you first on this one. But favorite uh, favorite sporting moment in history? We might we might have some sort of generational differences here between us, but. Favourite sporting moment in history and why, obviously? Um, I think I was so lucky in the 2012 Olympics that I got to see Mo win his 10,000, I think. Yeah. I think that ought to be it for me because like, the atmosphere there was crazy. And like after everything he's like gone through, I thought that was that was probably that was probably up there for me. And was was that one of the was that one of the super was that the super yeah. Saturday was that Mo Jess Ennis Greg Rutherford was it Yeah yeah I think I think that was the night Yeah and just you know the power of sport with those 2012 Olympics and the I guess the Olympics in general you know just incredible really Yeah unfortunately not not this year thanks to COVID so we we can wait a year with uh, with bated breath hopefully for that one to come back and Nick same same questions favorite well, sporting moment. I was going to say Super Saturday on 2012, but I feel I need a, a different one now. <laughs> yeah. 
as as the guest, we can we can let you let, okay, let you. Okay, good. Yeah, good. yeah <laughs> brilliant day. Absolutely loved it. Yeah. And then, and, and I guess just just to wrap up, um, Nick, if you, I guess, if you were to look back, um, thinking back to being that second year university student, maybe before that, you you know, we've referenced kind of. Um, managing becoming a a top athlete with with the everything else that's going on as a as a young person is there is there anything you you look back and think was really helpful that anything you look back and think you wish you'd done differently just thinking about sort of any of our pupils that might be listening trying to balance trying to make it in in professional sport and anything you you know words of wisdom that you might have yeah I think looking back a regret would be I was embarrassed of my weaknesses and I think that held me back a bit, especially at the beginning of, because I didn't come through an academy, you know, I didn't have the SNC, so I'd almost shy away from the SNC a little bit, as well as I wasn't great passing off my left when I first started, so I try and get in positions to not do that. Yeah. You know, there's a lot more now about, you know, being, not being afraid to fail and it's something that we, we would talk about a lot, but you know, if someone had tapped me on the shoulder and say, you know, don't worry about throwing that bad pass off the left. Get yourself into position so you've got the option too. Yeah. Um, don't worry, your, you know, your your legs are weak as anything. With, uh, <laughs> little skinny things, you know, like just work on it. Even though you can only do 10 kilograms, work on it till you get to 11 and just keep going. And don't be shy by that. Don't be embarrassed by that. It is what it is. And, um, you know, nowadays a lot of the talk is around what's your super strength, what's your strength, let's make it a super strength and try not to concentrate on the weaknesses or work ons. But actually, at the beginning of my career, I wish I would have not, you know, I worked on them a lot behind closed doors, but actually, I wish I hadn't been embarrassed about them and I'd really got stuck into improving them uh, quicker and in that team environment. And I guess that that sort of mental side of you know acknowledging that they're there and then they are you know you can work on them and they will get better can't you if you kind of if you try and hide from them they're always going to stay there I guess aren't they yeah yeah and you know you're not you're not brilliant so it doesn't matter <laughs> everyone yeah. will respect you trying to make it better and, trying, uh, yeah, yeah. and that's the key and Robbie similar question you're obviously now in the upper sixth now looking back to to being in the third form we've got some some recent new starters at Wellington and any any words of wisdom now as the uh as the sort of senior pro in the school senior pro <laughs> um uh I know it sounds a bit um cliche but like it's like maybe it's gone quicker because of um all the corona stuff but like I find myself here it's just like just enjoy everything especially the sports side of it because like and just get like do as much team aspects as I because you can always do you can you can play tennis you can do golf when you leave and it's the individual but I think the team aspect that you get at school you don't really get elsewhere in the same way where you're all in the same like bubble almost so yeah just just enjoy it as much as you can and just um recognize that um which is hard as when you're small but like recognize that what is going on is pretty special and like yeah yeah, I think probably more so than ever, we've, we're probably well, well aware of the, the pace of the world and um, sort of making the most of living in the moment and those opportunities that are there to you at the time, aren't we now? So, um, 
Yeah, cool. Thank you. Well, Nick, we'll, we'll, Robbie and I will stay on the line and, and we'll do a little wrap up between us, but I, I, we will let you go. And uh, thank you very, very much for your time. Um, really very interesting to obviously hear about your background, some of your thoughts on on modern rugby and, and developing young players um, and I guess young people into to sort of professional sports people and your own experiences in the game. So thank you very much for your time. Thank you for having me. No problem at all. Well, we'll uh, we'll leave you to it, and uh, Robbie and I will we'll have a little wrap up. All, all the best. Cheers. Thank you. Thanks, Nick. Robbie, just to um to to wrap up there. Is there are there any sort of key takeaway messages for you there? Um, put you on the spot there a little bit, haven't I? Sorry. Spot there. Um. I find it quite interesting because I didn't know that he um, obviously came to a bit late. So, like, it's like coming to rugby at, mainly at the university level, I thought it was like it's, you can just you can start whenever as long as you just you um, you want to go for it properly. But, yeah, no, I, I didn't. I've, I was a bit shocked by that, actually, because I don't know, maybe I'm used to people just coming up through like because I hear about it the whole time of people coming up through the academy ranks and as a young player. But like. Um, yeah, being exposed a bit later, um, we kind of think that you can you can kind of um, do it whenever, if as long as you want to do it, like 100%. Yeah, I I, I agree. I thought that was interesting. I, it's something I wasn't aware about, and I think um, I would agree. I think I found that interesting. I also found it incredibly interesting for you know a phenomenally long career um, at, at the sort of top of. Um, the, the professional game for sort of quite a period of time and then finishing in France and but before that grew up in Belgium and the, and the US and then ended up in coaching in, in very different roles and I guess just sort of really diverse diverse experiences to have got to where he is now which I think is probably you, you finished off referencing you know there's there's a lot of opportunities at Wellington and I guess sort of a, a good message out of that might be to try and try and give things a go when you're whilst you're able to and those opportunities are there I guess yeah yeah for sure um cool well Robbie let's finish there um thank you very much for your time as well and I hope all the listeners out there enjoy it